Hello, my name is Maddie and I'm a second year creative producing student at East 15 Acting School in Southend. I've lived here most of my life and absolutely love history. My two friends, Serena and Eli, are not originally from this area but they were keen to find out more. So I sent them on a quest to find out interesting things about Southend and the surrounding areas and thus Hearing Back was born. Over the next couple of weeks we'll each be bringing a topic to the metaphorical table to discuss and find out something new and hopefully interesting. Oh, uh, Serena, what did you have a look at this week? Well, this week I had a little look at Southend Airport, which is reported to be the fastest growing airport in the UK at the moment. Last year, it served around 2 million business and leisure passengers. That was uh, flying to over 50 destinations across Europe. And one of the things that helps it to be sort of, you know, in that growing sphere, if you like, is the fact that it's, it's under an hour away from London. Yeah, I mean, it's a small airport in terms of when you look at it against Stansted, Heathrow and Gatwick, but it's still um, quite popular for holiday destinations. So if we just look back at the history of it, because it, it's got quite, a, quite an interesting background. In 1914, the beginning of the First World War, the site was first used as an airfield with the first flight being taken in 1915 by flight sub-Lieutenant Robinson in a Blériot aircraft. His flight was an unsuccessful attempt to intercept a German Zeppelin. Wow. And yeah, so it kind of took off. And this was um, a time before there was an RAF. So the RAF didn't form until 1st of April 1918. Oh, with the wow. Yeah, back in sort of 1914-1915, it was the Royal Naval Air Service and the Royal Flying Corps that used Southend as a, a base for that First World War. Wow, that's cool. So that is the junior service, if you like, with the... Royal Navy being the senior service and the army after that. In 1933, the airport was bought by Southend Council and it opened as a local one municipal airport in 1935. Oh. So it, it, they went back to the sort of civil a civil sort of authority there. During the Second World War, it became RAF Rochford and was home to fighter squadrons, both serving airmen and airwomen. Um, and they had both their respective different um, forces back then. You had the Royal Air Force for, for men and you had the Women's Royal Air Force for, for female service personnel. Hmm. Um, and also different nationalities were based there as well. And when the war ended, it, be, it returned to being a civilian airport again run by Southend Council and that's about the time it started scheduling services to the Channel Islands and Ostend. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Then that's sort of in the 1950s, there was some work done on the runway, which helped improve passenger and cargo services and the bigger aircraft with aviation and, you know, people wanting to travel becoming more popular. And it was history made at the airport in May, May the 16th, 1949, when the first night flight was operated by a Crusader DC-3 on a cargo flight from Hamburg. And they used portable flares to illuminate the runway. What? Yep. Wow. So there was no floodlights or whatever. It was portable flares. <laughs> um, so it's Southend Airport is in the history sort of record books there for, for doing that. That's cool. Yeah. 
And also in 1949, Aviation Traders Engineering Limited set up aircraft maintenance base at South End, which at the time was primarily for Hortons and Halifaxes used in the Berlin airlift operations. Oh. So hmm. South, South End was sort of, you know, a major player in um, planes taking off and um, returning from the Berlin airlift. And that was down to the fact that the... Um, um, post-war allies fell out and the Russians stopped the French, Americans and British getting supplies into Berlin for their troops and the people of West Berlin. And that went on from the 24th of June, 1948 till the 12th of May, 1949. Oh, wow, cool. That's an awesome yeah. little claim to history there. I never realised that it, it had a part in that. Yeah, yeah. So, and then it, again in the 1960s, British United Air Ferries became synonymous with Southend Airport and they had services across the channel and they broke a record for passengers travelling through the airport in 1967. The passenger numbers were 692,686. So that was quite a phenomenal amount back then for people travelling through the airport. Yeah, absolutely. But over time, you know, South End Airport has taken a bit of dip and I think in the 1970s again, everything sort of dropped a little bit in, in, in places where you know different parts of the country weren't doing so well and um, engineering and maintenance sort of um, business sectors became quite important in the area and then um, in the 1990s South End Council sold the site and another major resale was back in 2008 when Eddie Stobbard of the Stobbard Group bought the airport and ever since the airport has um, had some investment with new upgrading of navigation, lighting, better runways, a new state-of-the-art air traffic control tower and the station, mainline station, which opened in 2011. And that was the same year that EasyJet set up a new hub for flights going to European destinations. So again, that, that sort of started a, a big turnaround in South End's business going in and in through South End. And it's quite easily accessible from the train station so that you come out of the train station and you literally walk just sort of across a little, um, a little undercover air, airway into the into the terminal it's great for flying places like the netherlands and sort of just hopping across the pond yeah. i know you know of one film maddie that was partially filmed at south yeah. end yes there's a bond film certainly certainly was it was um in 1964 goldfinger and that was sean connery um who drove his aston martin db5 into south end airport and he was following goldfinger's rolls royce into the airport and he takes his aston martin off to geneva and it was taken via a carvair flight from south end airport Another one is that The Queen, the film The Queen, starring Helen Mirren, and it was uh, Peter Morgan's script, Stephen Freer's direction. Southend Airport was the double, if you like, the um, played RAF Norfolk, which is a Royal Air Force station in Uxbridge near northwest London. So, again, that's another film that Southend Airport played a part in. That's pretty cool. What have you been looking at this week, Eli? Oh, uh, I looked at the uh, Southend Air Show. I love air shows, Eli. <laughs> I saw my first air show was RAF Mildenhall, which is an American air base in Suffolk. And I was hooked ever since seeing that. 
But you, yeah, you're you're gonna be happy listening to my to my. I love, uh, I love them. I love the red arrows. Mm-hmm. I think we're. It's one thing we can do. The red arrows better than the Americans. They <laughs> <laughs> <a big> claim. <laughs> <laughs> even even the blue angels and the you know yeah, the thunder, thunderbirds all that forget it forget it <laughs> can't beat the red arrows <laughs> so um I've, i'm i'm not sure if you guys have been or or not because it was only canceled in uh 2013 but it actually originally started in uh 1986 uh and it ran for 27 consecutive years without fail it's big attraction uh during a two two day period in may each year its big attraction was the concord flyover which carried 150 passengers around the bay of biscay and uh they used to have that basically every year and that was the idea behind it originally but it actually ended up uh, in its height it was the largest free air show you know like free to come and watch air show in the entirety of europe um yeah, and and it's had some pretty amazing aircraft over the years. It, when it when it originally started, uh, it was sort of a small. They erected like a like an eight foot high scaffold, and they just sort of. Uh, I think adults had to pay like three pounds, and kids had to pay a pound, and uh, basically everybody just sort of sat around or, along the seafront. And it ended up being one of the longest running uh, like seafront air shows uh, in in the UK, um, which is pretty amazing. Mm. I have a little list of some of the like the aircraft and display teams that have been there which is kind of fun and some of the big ones uh the red arrows are pretty famous in the uk uh yeah exactly the red uh, red arrows have ended the south end air show the uh freke uh tricolori which is the italian version of the red arrows basically and instead of red behind them they have the red white and green of their flag and they're pretty famous they also had the Battle of Britain uh, memorial flight come over uh, one year, which has a an Avro Lancaster, a Supermarine Spitfire, and a Hawker Hurricane. So like the three big, you know, famous British planes of the Second yeah. World War that would fly over. The RAF Falcons came over one year, who are a parachute display team, which are pretty amazing to watch. I totally recommend going checking out a video of them because they come in and they've got red white and blue parachutes and they trail these giant trails of smoke down as they come down there's like a dozen of them it's crazy sally b uh who's a boeing uh, b-17 flying fortress uh super fortress yep yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> and sally b is the only one that or one of the more famous ones that actually still flies in the uk which is pretty yeah. cool an a-10 thunderbolt which is a modern plane or sort of a more modern modern plane uh in the U.S., we call it a warthog or a hog. is a is a modern fighter plane. A Hawker Sidley Nimrod, which is a really fun name for an aircraft, yeah. which is a uh, maritime patrol aircraft, a jet airliner, and it looks super weird. I totally recommend looking it up. Yeah, it's uh, a funny little nose thing, doesn't it? A funny yeah. little yeah, yeah. It's got like a spike coming off the nose. Yeah. It's like a unicorn. Uh, and also its <laughs> engines are like tucked in really close to the body. So like it has yeah. these huge wings and the engines are right next to the body. Uh, an Avro Shackleton, which is one of the long range mar- maritime patrol aircraft of the UK. So it's, you know, quad engine uh, propeller plane from the early Avro Lancaster era. They've had the Hawkler Sidley Harrier, you know, the Harrier jet, which is pretty famous in the UK, yeah, which is... Be. 
yeah, more modern fighter jet. A Vulcan, uh, which is also Avro, which is pretty amazing. Uh, those things are crazy. Tailless Delta Wing, like high altitude strategic bombers. Uh, an F-117, a Nighthawk or a stealth bomber, which are just crazy to watch if you've ever seen one. They've also had a Vickers Viscount, which is a really fun airplane flown uh, originally in like 1948. It's this quad engine passenger plane that's sort of chubby looking and kind of fun to look at nowadays we're used to the sleek design of all these jets and it it, it just looks super chunky for for a passenger plane they've had 737 747 757 and the 767 flyover um all of like you know classic boeing planes that still fly the saab draken uh saab went out of business a little while ago but they were um an airplane company from sweden saab eventually turned into a car company that eventually went bust but you still see saabs every now and again and it's kind of a funny looking plane it's got its engines right up next to the cockpit so it, it's sort of like looks like it has super long engines and uh finally they had a catalina flying boat which is the name for a a type of seaplane that was originally flown in the 1930s which has its engines like mounted above the the cab so it looks kind of like a like a rabbit <laughs> it's pretty funny looking it did an estuary takeoff and landing uh which is pretty cool so it actually landed in front of the pier and you could go out and see it land they sort of came by and they waved and then they took off again from the estuary that's really cool it, it is really cool it's it's it sort of ends sadly though it ended in um in 2013 due to the austerity measures that year there was a petition to bring it back but it basically it it, it was unsuccessful and and now the air should no longer runs but apparently it saved the council 130,000 every year so you know for the whopping price of one pound a person in south end we could have had an air show but mm. no nope. they were always super <laughs> super popular you had to fight for a spot to sit on the on the grassy bits or actually on the beach mm-hmm. um, and then there'd be various stalls we could buy food and drink and then i'm sure one year they had a flight simulator that you could pay a couple of pounds and you'd have a turn in this massive kind of it looked like the front of the plane had been chopped off and you sort of step inside it and then it's yeah like a proper mm. and that was really cool yeah so yeah it was it was a really awesome event and although so, sometimes it wasn't very good when when the weather wasn't great but on really <laughs> hot days it was it was amazing huh. Yeah, I wish, I wish I could have seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame that they discontinued it. But. It, it is a shame because air shows, can, whether, whether the public pay for them or not, um, they can bring in a lot of people into an area for sort of something new to see. And I know that Bournemouth down on the south coast, apart from this year, they've been having air shows since... 2008 and they rely on that big influx of visitors for a couple of days to come down to the seafront and it's absolutely fantastic when you can watch flights over the water you haven't got that problem of spectators being beneath the fly zone and you can get more spectators out onto the water as well in boats and things like that so it it can be a really good experience to have that yeah it was yeah they did fly like over the water um so there was no issue with like the being directly underneath and like the fly zone and stuff but because it was so popular it was always really difficult to find space but i don't know how they would kind of police the charging of it because people were just on a public path and maddie what have you been up to this week? I've been looking at the Battle of Benfleet. 
Um, I didn't even know that this was a thing, really. So this is all completely new to me. But the Battle of Benfleet took place between the Saxons and the Danish Vikings in around 894 AD. 894 AD. I hadn't heard of it either. The Vikings had previously landed with 200 ships and created a settlement there with a fort near Benfleet Creek. So by the time of the battle, most of them had sailed away and there were only about 80 ships left, which isn't very good for what happens later. (laughs) Um, Towards the end of the Saxon period, the Thames and other waterways made the area vulnerable to Viking attacks, obviously, because they're very well known for their their long ships. And Benfleet was actually used as a Viking base. And the creek then was a lot wider than it is now. So that helped. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened was the Vikings were defeated in the battle by the army of King Alfred under the command of his son, Edward the Elder, and his son-in-law, Earl Ethelred of Mercia. And the leader of the Danes, I believe it's Haston, but please forgive my pronunciation if that's not right. (laughs) (laughs) Haston took his men out plundering to the surrounding areas to get supplies. And he left behind in their fort enough men to guard his wife and sons and other women and children from other Saxon warriors so when the saxon army arrived there were not actually many men to fight it was only the guards and the helpless women and children who were defenseless <laughs> and so really quickly obviously the saxon army had just stormed the fort um the ships were burnt as well as some of the men dying some were captured along with the women and children and among those were Hastings family so alfred was known as a merciful king and he returned Hastings' wife and sons to him because he and Ethelred were godfathers to the boys. So he spared them, which is, you know, fair enough. And Hastings swore that he would not cause any more trouble. So the Danes who survived fled to Shubury and built another camp. And that battle marked a turning point in the war between the Saxons and the Danes. A church was built by the Saxons in thanksgiving for the victory of the Vikings. St Mary's Church is the most recent church building occupying that site. And legend has it, I don't know if that's quite the right word, but legend has it that the foundation stones of the existing St. Mary's Church were laid in 894 AD. Wow. And after this, 50 years of peace from the Danes after this battle, but then they returned again. But I don't have the information on that. (laughs) Did you know, Maddie, that King Alfred, um, he's the only king that has sort of earned that title of being called Alfred the Great? And his court was more down towards Hampshire and Winchester. Yeah, so um, yes, he is buried in Winchester Cathedral as well. Uh, Majority of the last names in and around Southend and Essex are actually uh, of Viking descent. Hmm. Yeah, from from when raiders came and stayed. There you go. Yeah. I wonder what they are. Uh, It's there's a few actually. Um, There's notably there's a there's a big population of sort of people of direct Norwegian descent in the northwest of Ireland. But uh, in the UK, um, most common ones are Hansen, Johansen, Olsen, uh, Larsen, uh, Anderson, uh, Peterson. 
uh, Nilsen Christensen, uh, basically anything that ends in sin in the UK used to be son. And so used to be, uh, it's, it's a Norwegian name. That's interesting. Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. Anderson, which is pretty odd, right? It just you... seems so common for it to have. It's almost, yeah, it's almost exclusively Norwegian. And yet it's, it's, it's sort of migrated over because yeah. we don't we don't use sun to really mean son as a last name it's almost exclusively a norwegian thing yeah carlson johnson jensen peterson erickson uh berg uh haugen hagen doll d-a-h-l like roll doll oh yeah a friend of mine has got the surname doll uh and that's that's norwegian oh. yeah uh and ibsen is obviously Danish, and that's actually quite common as a last name in the UK, mm. as in like the the poet and the playwright. Yes, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's there's a lot more common names, especially Johnson. That's quite surprising. Cause yeah, like Johnson and Johnson. Yeah, yeah, they seem well because it comes from Jonasan. Yeah, or Jonsan. It it doesn't have British origins. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or rather, it's not Celtic, whatever you want to call British, because. Britain had sort of an influx of Germanic culture from the mm-hmm. East uh, when Angles came, and that's why it's now called England, because it was the land of Angles, or the Angle land, so yeah. it turned into England. And that's why it's still called East Anglia. Yep. Uh, and, and Celtic is what most people typically refer to as, as things that are properly, as in like British, British sort of origins of last names and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. But did you know that Vikings never had horns on their helmets? I did actually know that. <laughs> really? Oh, well done. I'm not too sure where it came from. I think it might have come from... It's a Hollywood opera. thing. Is it a Hollywood thing? Yeah. Or it might have come from an opera. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was popularized in opera and a few other things. But yeah, Vikings would have never used um, a cow horn on their helmet, uh, mostly because of the fact that, if you think about it, if you were holding a sword or an axe or something like that, if you hit the, if you hit the horn on someone's helmet, you have leverage, so the helmet flies off. Yeah. So it's not very effective, not to mention if it gets caught on something. Uh, and also they used a vast majority of their horns for drinking horns. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think their priority was drinking rather than fashion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scandinavians. <laughs> All of this was recorded on Zoom, so apologies for the mic quality. But thank you for listening to our six part podcast. If you haven't done so, please feel free to go and check out our previous five episodes. We hope that you've enjoyed learning a little bit more about South End and the nearby areas. It just goes to show that there's plenty more to a place if you scratch a little below the surface. <laughs>